0: Hey everybody, thank you for checking out The Real Abhinav Audio Experience. I just want to let you know, even if you don't finish this episode, that I have tremendous amount of love for you and I wish nothing but good things to come for you this year. Even though we're going through a crazy crisis globally, I know that it's going to get better and I know deep inside you do too, which is why you're here. Get it going. So, I grew up Indian, of course. Oh, yeah, you should not be in the frame, right? I guess that makes <laughs> hey, sense. Why not? Well, know, I mean, you can. You know, could. It, I mean, it, you it want, want to put another time. mic on? I could. <laughs> next time. So, yes. Um, so, let me, let me start from, the, from, from where I, th- I think it's most relevant. Am I sitting too low? No. Really? Okay. My wife's telling me to sit up. Apparently, my posture is not very good right now. what
1: you're told thank you i I, reckon, I i think it's a good strategy good policy. it's
0: a good strategy <laughs> <laughs> i love it well it definitely allows you to breathe better mhm right yeah, i'm
1: doing the same as he made me feel better.
0: oh okay good well i made a monk straighten his posture guys uh, <laughs> just kidding um, all right so You know, what happened really with me in my journey, I grew up in a house where my brother growing up, he was disabled, he couldn't walk, my older brother, but we had a lot of love together. We played all the time as kids in India when we were growing up. My father did business, he was always working really hard, my mom was always working really hard. So we really grew up with our grandmother for a time and then we always hung out with our parents in the evening, at the night times, on the weekends. I grew up in a pretty loving home, I have to say. Yes, of course, we had our challenges and all that. Uh, and and of course, health being an issue, you know, it was always kind of a complicated situation at times. But I always grew up with so much love for my mom, my dad was always kind of the traditional Indian father who always wants way more out of his kid, right? Wants the best of the best kind of have that strong, you know, uh, uh, character. And so I always kind of was like, you know, like this with my dad, you know, and and to this day, like we've we've have a a relationship, which yeah, it's it continues to, you know, have its ebbs and flows. and, And it's like, one of the most profound things i guess uh, i've i've read about uh, spirituality was like hey if you think you're all you know spiritually awakened go live with your family and uh, <laughs> and see how woke you really are <laughs> you know because they would know how you really kind of get your uh, lowest levels of emotions to kind of bubble up sometimes right so so i i lived you know with my family pretty much forever and then and when i turned 18 and I like started to move and look at college and whatnot. I was I was a musician by the way as well. I was I was always into music growing up. I was never a good student, kind of very like what
1: were you playing? What were you watching? I was a
0: drummer. Um so at in India my mom actually took me to this place where uh it was like a Kind of like a summer school But it was very creative It was it was someone's home And he would have like You know Children come in It was a big house Like two floors Probably 10 or 15 rooms And he would just break out Like here's a painting area Here's a sitar area You learn the harmonium here Tabla you know, and then all the like the whole like all the Indian instruments and all and beyond. And he also had like the, the you know, Western like drum set there. He had some Congas there. So he himself was a very expressive artistic person who wanted to like teach and he hired some teachers to like be around for different lessons and whatnot. So I always picked up, you know, the, the drums and that became my thing. Tried to play some piano and guitar here and there. But then and then I went back and learned drum set. Uh but, you know, long story short, I, I think music became Something that I could really express myself is. I know I got a lot of encouragement from my mom, my uncles. They would come and play, w- watch me play and like just laugh and have a fun, emotional time. And it really kind of resonated, I think, at a deeper level within me that this is something that brings people together. And it's something that when I do well, people enjoy. And it made me feel good as well. So music has always been that for me. And moving forward in, in life, you know, I went, I started to figure out do I want to go to college? What do I want to do? I'm Indian. I didn't want to be a doctor because I don't like all that blood and gory stuff. And as you can imagine, engineering is also a popular choice amongst the, <laughs> that, that crowd, you know. So when we immigrated over in this country in 2002, I was, I was kind of finding my path because I had just come from this loving family. You know, we just moved to a new place trying to figure out how to fit in and everything. And people were not always very nice, especially as you can imagine. Kids are quite, uh, quite special. And <laughs> they could be very, very, uh, you know, unfiltered. And I think I saw that more and more, especially being different, you know, especially growing up in India, a lot of us look the same. But once I came here, I, I started to see that I wasn't the same as everybody else. Uh, I never knew that, I guess, as it, as well as I did get to learn at a younger age, going oh, through okay. like elementary school. I was 10 years old, I think, when I for sure moved here, but I visited in 97. I think I was maybe, uh, I don't know, six or seven at the time. So I visited for a few months, and that was in the East Coast, and then we moved back, and my mom, like, did the necessary work to be uh, moving here to do, you know, a job as a nurse at the time, and then my dad, you know, he had to, like, kind of close some of the businesses or find different ways, and then we all immigrated completely in 2002, so I was I was 10 years old then, and uh, kind of just going through, like, life that way and and you know, of course, fitting in the way I could. Music still stayed in a strong part because education and learning was kind of difficult for me, but I was—I always did it because I knew I had to do it, and it was part of, like, my family always put this sort of uh, idea around me that, you know, me having the brother type of brother that I had where he he was not really expected to be doing too much because of his circumstances and, and how he wasn't able to walk or anything, But and has also had some learning disabilities a little bit, but I would say... He's very functional human being and, and quite this quite the loving soul. Uh and, and in in any room he goes, he he brightens it up and people have nothing but good things to say. So it's it always felt weird to me that like uh you know what life was really always about. I was always a very curious person. I would always ask questions that would either annoy certain people who didn't have the answer. Uh, but I was always like that and some people really loved that and would encourage me to continue that forward and other people sometimes even my family like my dad would try to tell me you know to stay within a certain confined way otherwise I wouldn't be able to be productive in society like get a job and do other things fast forward to moving to the bay area you know I I studied engineering I picked that so I struggled and then I I you know, went to community college. I was also into music at the time. So all throughout high school, I was in the band and, and doing like jazz and drum line. And I became the drum captain. And I, and I played even at like Carnegie Hall and like A- Anaheim Stadium and all that good stuff at some point. And music really became like my my source of excellence. I didn't have the training that I could have had, but I just intuitively picked it up. You know, it felt really close to me always. And then going through college, I didn't have the music aspect so I, I actually got into health and fitness because my, my family started to have more issues. So I used to actually compete in bodybuilding too throughout college. So I went and wanted to be like Arnold, I guess, right? Like everybody looks up to him to that, for that Pumping Iron movie. And I, I don't know, I was on YouTube and I kind of started watching videos and I'm like, I could, I could get bigger because I got bullied for being short and kind of get picked on. So that kind of like what became my path there. And then and then once I started to like finish my degree and compete in bodybuilding and uh, achieved what I thought I wanted to achieve, and I was moving in the right direction, I realized like once I left my parents' home and I moved to the Bay Area to start working and making good money, like you know over a hundred thousand dollars right out the gate was pretty good for for like a 23, 24 year old, um, you know most money, more money than most of my friends made, which, you know, and it made me feel like whoa, this is this is insane, like I. And I was on a very big high already because I had just come off of this win. You know, I was Mr. West Coast. I had just, like, trained my butt off. I, I can talk about that more in detail and what that taught me. I didn't know meditation at that time. And meditation came into my life after a few years of, like, working and making money and re- and realizing I still was very hollow and sad inside for, for whatever reason. I really had to start going into that more. And that's when, like, I started to actually, you know really start to question what is what am I doing here like kind of really big questions that I realized I never had answers to and I started to listen to some uh spiritual teacher on YouTube I had a couple of people like that used to I used to always listen to motivational stuff like Tony Robbins and all that right so I was always kind of the top like I know how to perform well I understood discipline and what that could get you through bodybuilding and through like just you know working hard but like once you realize that you are not happy with that I I couldn't I couldn't really understand, like, where would I find the answers for that? And my mom, you know, she would always tell me, like, at that time when I was going through a lot of trouble, I was actually diagnosed to be depressed, and the doctors wanted me to see psychologists or counselors and take medication and all that, because my blood work was all funky. But I chose not to, because I knew that I had put myself in this place. And I think part of it was just from my coming off of a bodybuilding career, and as you know, the, te- the testosterone level kind of goes up and down there as well sometimes, so there could have been many reasons, but I felt like the universe was trying to get me to understand something at that time. And I chose to just really go into it very deeply. And that's when meditation really became something for me. I also went to Inner Engineering by Sadhguru. I'm, I'm sure you might have heard of him. Someone whispered that in my ear at a very precise moment in time where it was the right time when I thought I needed it. And so I went and signed up for it and I learned the the, the Kriya, they initiate you and And I had no idea if this was going to do anything for me, but just sitting there and doing it every day, they'd recommend doing it for 90 days or for, for 40 days, I think in a row, twice a day. And I think I did it for like 120 days And, and I was like, I just kept going. And, and at that time I was very depressed and I was very much unhappy with how life was, but I started to, at that moment, shift to this, to this openness again of like realizing that I don't know anything and that. The the universe still can offer me so much if I'm just open to it and I'm accepting of it. And somehow, like, things started to change, and now I'm sitting here in front of you, like, almost three years to three years later, where my life has become a lot more in alignment with what I want to be doing and how I want to be spreading, like, this message around, like, why mental health is a real issue and why we all are not being taught some of these things that I think are very, very important. And so, getting in touch with you is really to connect with, and kind of push forward what you've already been doing, and just do it also, you know, through this incarnation as well. And and I thought it would be a perfect alignment for us because
1: I, uh, you're a monk. <laughs> well, there's a lot of this. Is it, there's some surprising commonalities there, actually.
0: Really? Yeah. Well, I'd love to unpack those, and I know your story a little bit. I've seen your TED talk, and I and I and I wanted to really kind of dig into certain things and and I'd love for you to kind of share maybe what you found initially uh you know
1: well, a couple of things one was that um I know I grew up in New Zealand you know that um and my parents were both working I was the fourth child for four four sons in a row and I kind of got farmed out to my grandparents mm. so that really that and that had a huge impact on me it was like it was really—it was a real blessing. They—they—they they, uh, they doted on me. I was like, I was the center of their lives, and right. I was, that suited me. So that was a big one. And then the other thing that jumped out at me was you. you when you were ten, you came into a, a, you know, an environment where you're a different color than everybody else. Right. Well, I had the same experience when I was twelve. Oh. I went to live in the Tonga Islands. My family went to live in the Tonga Islands ah. for a year, and I was like the only white kid in my class for for a year. And um, there's only like three white kids in the entire school. And one of them is my brother. So, <laughs> so um, of course, it's very different because we were the elite. We were the kind of colonial expat, you know, um, family. So it was, it, was, it was very different in terms of social status. But I experienced a little bit of, you know, not, nothing really bad, but a little bit of kind of racial discrimination from the, from the receiving end. And mm-hmm. it really taught me something. I I, think, I Looking back, I think this is a really valuable lesson for me to understand what it feels like to be just picked on because you're different.
0: Right, right.
1: And, and you're different in a way that you literally cannot do anything about.
0: You hey guys, I just wanted to step in here real quick and let you know that we also have this full conversation live on YouTube where you can see the video of both of us talking. I tend to feel like video captures a little bit more human emotion and you get to really see what someone's reaction was to a statement. So if you're interested in checking that out, you can go to YouTube and search for Blossom Media Studio. Now let's get back to this episode. <laughs> it's almost like, you know, I guess the way I would describe it is like we we obviously live in a bubble of our thoughts and what we believe at times. Maybe not you, but most of us at times do. And I think when someone reveals something that you have maybe not being aware of or taken as seriously before and it comes to light, I think that's a real moment of like it disassembles this character and like this narrative that we might have had about ourselves because we maybe didn't look at it that way before. So it can almost be like a stunning moment in that sense.
1: Yeah, so you know, I just thought it was interesting those, those parallels because they have a big impact on you, especially because you're young. Um, having those sort of experiences, that we yeah we had some 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 uh, some similar life story. And of course, the music. well, when I got into music when I was also very young, when I was about four, I started playing piano. But you know, one there's a big difference. For most of my life, I've, I've been playing music. I realise I was just thinking the other day. I basically played music every day for sixty years. Wow! And just sometimes, just a little bit. And it's not like I'm super disciplined. I'm not your buddy, body bodybuilder who, like, will, you know, every day. Yeah, right. And, and into all the exercise and everything. I was, I was sort of. I play what I love playing, and I, you know, I, I had the discipline of a teacher, at, on piano. But I'm I, since I was twenty, I've been mostly a self-taught musician. But and I switched to guitar and singing. But I've been very. Much, I play music mostly on my own. Really different. I mean, I played with groups, but that's the exception. Yeah. And uh, so, for me, playing music is is actually mostly a solitary experience.
0: Do you? I've seen you play music for audiences when you are doing even talks. You know, like at Facebook or Google, and of course your TED talk. And you always bring this really interesting way of kind of combining uh, a meditation, but also a song, and and also a chant at the same time. Talk to me a little bit about, like, why do you think that works uh, in in transforming or opening people's minds? What do you think it is about music that really kind of lets people, like, I guess, open up their mind or, like, let down their
1: barriers? Music's tremendously important for human beings. And making music, singing in particular, is something that we have done in a tribal setting, for perhaps a hundred thousand years, right. And there's some theory that actually speech, the first versions of spoken language, were actually sung, not spoken.
0: Mm. I didn't not know too.
1: that. Well, it's it's a theory. We, we don't know for sure, but this is well,
0: that's right. Who's going to go back in time and check?
1: <laughs> <laughs> but there's some logic, some argument.
0: Of course, there. right. There's some things we can deduce.
1: But we've been singing, and then making you know, probably singing. Almost certainly came first, and then rhythm, you know, rhythmic instruments, and then later on, it became more elaborate, and sophisticated. We've been doing this for you know tens of thousands of years, and there's got to be a reason why do we do that. So there are a few things that that are really that uh, in which, or a few ways in which music affects us in a very powerful way. One is, well, music's a kind of language of emotion. If you watch a movie. In the foreground, you've got the dialogue and the action, right? Yes. Like the conscious, what you're most conscious of. But what's happening in the background is the music. And that is the kind of emotional story. Mm. And, you know, a good, you know, John Williams or somebody knows this really, really well and knows how to do that so that if you took that music away, the whole film would be like flat. Right. It would be unendurable almost. So... We, but we don't we're usually not very consciously aware of it, but it's manipulating our emotions because music has the power to do that through resonance so it resonates with our nervous system and our chakras if you happen to you know and you know a bit about that and some pe- many people do so it creates this resonance and literally uh, induces emotion and a, a skilled musician especially somebody who's really into this side of it like an indian classical musician who's really adept they know what mood they're going to put their audience into and they just it's all they've got it down to a science and each raga and each part of each raga is a designed to induce a certain mood through resonance that is the basis of the science of mantra also So mantra, of course, is, you know, words, you could say magic words, right?
0: Yes.
1: (laughs) That's where the idea comes from. You know, we've all heard stories of wizards and spells, magic
0: words. That's right. That was your childhood dream.
1: The original, uh, yeah, right. The original source of this concept is the science of mantra.
0: Mm. Of
1: how words, through both resonance and meaning, so there's two factors, you could say, Uh, it can induce states of mind. So uh, this is part of what I learned as a a yogi when when I was trained in India is the science of mantra. I was already a musician. We combine that into musical chanting, you could say, or chanting accompanied by music. And it puts people in the right mood. And then it's much easier for them to meditate.
0: Right. I believe set and setting is a lot of important, plays a lot of importance into this, especially when you're starting out, because... I was going to take this into a different direction, which is I know that since I started meditating, it really has benefited my, my life and, and people around me. And sometimes it's hard to tell that to someone because when you say like, hey, you know, you have to sit still for a little while and and actually not do anything. You know, most people can't understand why would you do that? And And many times they'll say, I'm not able to do that. I've tried and I'm not able to do that. Talk to me a little bit about how when you first did it when you first tried meditation tell tell me a little bit about that experience and maybe you can share with us what maybe are the most common you know misunderstandings around it and how it can be overcome or it- or at least to allow yourself that ability to just sit there and ex- and accept whatever's happening rather than fighting it you know like I'm curious to hear what you have in your experiences
1: sure but I should say that my own experience is not very typical, so it's probably not that useful for a lot of people. <laughs> but I liked meditating from the beginning.
0: Oh, that's amazing.
1: I just loved, I just, I felt this is great. I, I had really, you know, it wasn't like every time I sat down, but consistently I would, you know, have a really good experience. Um, that's not the case for most people. Um, so I what I... Uh, I think is probably more useful for people to hear <laughs> is uh, how do you, how can you make meditation an enjoyable experience? Because it's true what you say. Of course, many people with their, you know, the the kind of groups that I teach are mostly in in tech companies these days or, or mm-hmm. university students, A little bit more in the past, but they're all people who think a lot.
0: Yeah, and we got all these devices now to distract us.
1: Well, that makes it worse. Yeah. So you've got. You know, my, my typical group of students are people with... They're usually very smart, and they're really, really bad at meditation. Because, because their minds are so active, they can't even sleep, half of them. And these are people that are all highly trained. I'm the university dropout, and they've all got PhDs and MBAs, and they're all smart as anything. It's fascinating. There, there's something missing, and they know it. And they, they kind of... They want it. They need it. So, But it, and it's more in the emotional realm, right? In the realm of... Uh, and how they feel about themselves, and how they're just able to be comfortable with themselves Mm -hmm. and around other people. And that doesn't necessarily come from being smart and doing a lot of study. In fact, it's often the opposite. So for those kind of people, the chanting is key.
0: Because it gives you a singular focus.
1: Well... Having a single f- singular focus and being able to focus on it are two different things.
0: That's correct. I love that. Please talk about that.
1: <laughs> so, you know, it's all very well to say in theory you focus on this mantra and this technique, but how do you, how do you get yourself into the state of mind to actually do that? And honestly, it sounds very. It's very simple, but chanting with the good music, especially in a group. You know, we're a bit. You know, um, it's difficult to do that now because of COVID and everything. Right. But, um. Uh, We do have a lot of online group meditations and chanting programs that uh, that I'm involved in and we've sort of found ways to make it sort of work. It definitely has some effect. It's not like being in the same room, uh, but it's halfway there. But chanting in the same room with a group of people has a very strong effect. It can really carry you into this at least beginning stage of being comfortable sitting there and feeling good and then you can focus on the meditation and in silence. And that's where the work comes in and that's where, you know, some people say, well if the chanting's so good and you can feel good, why don't we just do that? But it's only half the practice. You get benefit from that, but it doesn't really last that long unless you sit down and train your mind and develop your focus and concentration and willpower and you can go into a deeper state. So the, the chanting and the meditation are very complementary practices. There's a really cool study coming out of Macquarie University in Australia. Uh, I, I've, you know, I sort of monitor meditation research a lot because it's very useful for convincing people that this really works. Of
0: course, we you know, if I could pause for a moment and, and just comment on a few things there. Sure. It's interesting that you say like you've talked to a lot of very smart individual by society standards, people working at large businesses that we see like you know Google, Facebook, these huge companies that are employing tons of people making billions and trillions of dollars. So from a cultural perspective, people think that when you're of that caliber, you know, you must have it all. And so we aspired for that. But the problem is when you get there, and this is my same experience, when I moved to the Bay Area, I felt that a lot of people were quite intelligent and brilliant, but they weren't fulfilled. And they didn't have that peace and lovingness about them. They were all, you know, do, do, do all the time, just computing. And, and, you know, I felt... In that trap for a little bit because I that's what I figured you would had to do to survive, and I quickly, being an extremist, I guess I, I I took it and I realized, whoa, if I kept going like this, I'm I'm flat, like I don't like this at all, mm. and so I had the good fortune, I guess, the ability to kind of fall down those, uh, you know, those darker kind of emotions and see, you know, how bad that space really is, and how bad it could get because it's really, you know, your worst fear is as bad as you can imagine it to be. It's whatever you believe in your thought process. It's how bad your mind can come up with something. It's gonna be that bad. So that's what like a bad experience is. It's very subjective because your mind is using all of your techniques and tricks to get your attention. I think seeing that aspect of of our existence where whatever's happening within me is not an indication of who I am. And having that conviction is one of the hardest things to impose on any other person because they have to experientially know that so I understand what you say about these studies coming out now around meditation and the benefits of it and like certain you know vibrational frequencies and chants and with the music and all because we've known these, these things but now we live in an environment where we have to be proven these things on an intellectual level when at a natural level in a deeper way within us through evolution of human beings this is stuff that's ingrained in us you know and we we reject it because of our, our 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 smartness
1: i always find it really funny when i i read about some scientific study that they spent 10 million dollars on and they proved that <laughs> going like, for a walk every day is good for <laughs> me it's
0: like we've known this guys
1: why, why don't you give me the 20 million bucks <laughs> i you you know?
0: <laughs> oh my god imagine like really like seriously that that's that is quite the <laughs> statement but,
1: so much, but there's there's a lot of research around into meditation yes but almost none that I could find into the effects of chanting. Hmm. And I finally came across this really solid piece of research from Macquarie University near Sydney in Australia. And they're comparing chanting a mantra uh, out loud. And then, of course, they have a control group who are doing none of this. and then But the second group or the third group can say they're meditating with the same mantra. So they're basically saying, okay, we're going to have the the chanting the mantra and then the silent repetition of the mantra and try and see the difference. And, you know, they were using, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, say, um, uh, I don't think they were using fMRI. They were using um, a couple of different types of scans and, of course, measuring brain waves. And their conclusion very clearly was that, yeah, both of these these practices are really beneficial in terms of helping people feel more relaxed and... and, and um, they were actually tasked with trying to address the epidemic of depression,
0: mm. and
1: suicide in Australia. So this was funded by the government because there's a kind of psychological health, mental health crisis in Australia.
0: Even today, I think globally.
1: Well, oh, globally, yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah.
1: So, but the interesting thing that I found, and I kind of expected this, but I was uh, it was interesting to see it validated. They found that the effect. Was more pronounced in the people doing the chanting than in the people doing the silent meditation. Now, it's from teaching this and for so long. It's pretty easy to understand why, because the the subjects were all beginners, and it's harder to meditate and try and concentrate than it is to chant out loud. That's kind of easy. Mm-hmm. But when someone's sitting there supposed to be repeating the mantra silently, most of them aren't most of the time. They're sitting there and their mind's wandering all over the place. So they're not actually meditating at all. They might be doing a few seconds of meditation and then two minutes of random thinking and then another two, you know, 30 seconds of meditation and then they're off again. So the effect is not very strong until you get good at it. Mm. And then it goes much deeper than the chanting practice. But for beginners, the chanting is actually more powerful.
0: I would say what I found very interesting in my journey was. The power of introspection, which I learned from uh, who I could call my my teacher, was his name is Muji. I don't know if you're familiar with him I know, I've heard of and that. his work. he's really has this and he learned from another spiritual teacher known by Papaji in India. I don't know if you're familiar with his work, but really the the core of it really is just to question what your I is, your I am. Like, what is it pointing to, right? Where am I? Yeah, and, and kind of like, I'd like to break this down with you because I think there could be some interesting, you know, conversation around this, which is a lot of times we... I'm able to speak from this place now, but I wasn't able to talk like this, I would say, a few years back because I was just simply not aware of of who I fully am. <laughs> and part of it is like understanding whenever we say... Like, I am this person or that, or I am happy or I am sad. What part of you is it that's happy or sad? Mm-hmm. And and really, like, having a solid answer for that, not just a, well, it's me, can't you see? And it's kind of like not, it's not deep enough because we, most of the times, don't carry the weight in our words when we speak them. We tend to just speak the words that they, you know, that seem fit, and a lot of times in the moment as we're speaking we might not even be aware of the next word that's about to come out and the way it's going to and we don't fully actualize the weight of it so i guess what i'm trying to say is is like having introspection as a tool to see to always kind of be a mirror to to check like who who am i believing myself to be uh, and and the reason i'm kind of talking around this topic is because in my experience this brought me actually to something you mentioned earlier around poetry a lot of poetry is dodging and and bringing like to life these deeper things that we know but can't quite put into words and and i think part of introspection or using this ability to question who you are can bring you to that place where you're just just enjoy like you 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 realize that you don't know a lot of things but you're okay with it because that's how it's always been and you've just been caught up in some sort of character or some idea so strongly that you got distracted from seeing that uh your pure being i guess like help help you know elaborate a- about that if there is anything f- that comes from you
1: well this yeah I, well, I think this is a very important central concept to not just a meditation but to life
0: to life to existence i mean that's really what i'm here to talk about
1: <laughs> it's not a new idea i mean you know who was it plato or aristotle or well, they will kind of there was a succession of guru-disciple there, right? Sure, yes. um, But I think it was Aristotle, he said, you know, talked about knowing yourself and all that kind of thing. So this is an old philosophical idea. And of course, a lot of Greek philosophy was influenced by Indian philosophy. And um, so we're not the first people to be asking this question.
0: (laughs) That's what I came to figure out. I thought I was the only one. One time I had such a bad mental breakdown about this. I was like, how is it that nobody has figured out who we are, where we came from, and why we're here, and what we're supposed to be doing? And everybody has an idea, and no one really knows. And everyone's just okay with the fact that we don't know, but we have created these other ideas around, like, if you do this study, or if you study this, this is what the things tell us. But really, though, really, 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 we have no
1: idea. Well, there are a few people who... I wouldn't say they figured it out. They realized it.
0: And that's, and that's what I'm kind of get, trying to get at. It's like there's an experience of life. There is no knowing of life, I suppose, in that sense of like ideating but, about it.
1: Not an intellectual process. Y-
0: yes, and I don't think I understood that <clears throat> for the longest time, which tells me a lot of people still don't understand that.
1: Well, I, you know, I'm living in this, this Silicon Valley culture. Intellect is rated, or, you know, rationality... And they think that that equals science, but that's actually completely incorrect. Uh, but this idea of rationality and raising power, and you know, paying 23-year-old engineers a crazy amount of money, is, is that's that's what's valued: is that analytical ability. But actually, that's the least. That's not the most powerful ability that we have
0: mm.
1: in a, within ourselves. A lot of the greatest scientists, obviously the one who gets cited all the time, of course, is Einstein, talk about the power of intuition and how that is much more important than intellect or rationality in the discovery of new ideas. And he talks about that like 50 different times that I know about. And so do many other great scientific pioneers and thinkers and, of course, great musicians and all of these sort of more... People that are usually associated more with intuition, but it's also, it's the found it's basically, it's the basis of all new discovery, is intuition. And people are a little bit scared or skeptical about the idea because they don't understand what it is. And there, it gets associated with a lot of weird woo woo stuff that maybe, that really, maybe, um, just wrong.
0: <laughs> oh, excuse me.
1: Intuition, to me, my understanding of intuition is something like this. It's, it's a direct knowing. This is one of the dictionary definitions. It's a direct knowing of something mm. without having to go through some intellectual process to get there, or even a subconscious intellectual process, which is what is happening when you're speaking and you don't have to figure out, that study the laws of grammar and before you can say something. It's right. all happening literally subconsciously. That's not what I'm talking about. That's your internal computer, all right? But below that or deeper than that, you've got this intuitive power that enables you to just come up with something directly. And this is what, you know, I've got books full of scientists talking about this stuff. That, 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 you know, I discovered that, you know, or, or in dreams, like, you know, the guy who just came up with the periodic table of elements, um, Vasily Mendelev. he dreamed the sort of, final pieces of the periodic ta- table of elements he didn't figure it out rationally the same with the, ca- the, the the this structure of the carbon molecule and a whole lot of major major scientific discoveries came in intuitive flashes dreams exercising the imagination in creative ways einstein had a method for doing this mm. was to visualize things it, 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 he used visualization to induce Intuitive insights, not rationality or reasoning. And but the ultimate intuition that we know the thing that we know directly and we know for sure and we don't know how we know it is knowing that we exist. The
0: sense that I exist.
1: The the I feeling, the Atma. Yes. This is the ultimate intuition. And it's the fundamental thing that enables everything else. Yes. So we actually call meditation in my tradition intuitional science. Because it's the process or method through which we can shift our sense of identity from the ego and all of these emotions and worries and past and regrets and hopes and dreams to the sense of existence, which is constant. Right. And it's kind of like in the, in the, I don't know if you know the Christianity very well, I don't know it very well, but this one, this bit I know, there's this famous story in the Bible about how Peter built his house on the rock. And the other fellow, whose name I forget, built his house on the sand. And of course, yes, what happened? This is a metaphor for founding your life on your real identity, not the shifting identity of the ego and the emotions and the self-conceit that often comes with intellectual brilliance.
0: <laughs> you know, if I could touch on that, I think it's it's beautifully said by you there. <clears throat> and another way that I've heard it explained is like whatever is is continuously moving or whatever is passing is not you. Yeah. So what what is it that remains when everything is gone or when everything is left? And and I think really one of the I have two questions around this actually. But one of the challenges that I think that i know i face and other people face is yes it's all it's all well and good that you can become let's say aware of, of of who you are maybe for a moment in time and then you you don't quite know what to do with it because not a lot of us are really given guidance around like you could have a very explosive experience of of like really not understanding you know what just happened and then you could your mind can make up ideas around it and then you start to maybe like imagine things about what that could be and and how like you know maybe you're, you're God or whatever it is. And, 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 and all sorts of things. Where I'm taking this is, part of the the, the dilemma that I've had and, and at times when I'm very much involved in, in uh, like the life, the day-to-day life I can lose sight of if I'm not on my practice, is that when we're busy moving towards achievement, does that start to take away from our spiritual path? Is there a beautiful cohesion? Because I tend to find that like even people that are very hardworking, kind, generous, loving, nice people who mean well in what they do have have the have had experiences of like profound, you know, unity and understand their place at times, but then still tend to revert back at times into this you know what? What? What is going on? Why are things aren't working out for me? And this, help me understand from your perspective and having done you know your work and as a, as a monk and everything else. Like what? What would you tell someone like that? And how would how would they start to maybe break that down?
1: Well, the first thing I want to say is I'm still figuring this out. But <laughs> well, thank <laughs> you
0: for your honesty.
1: <laughs> There's a few things that I've understood. One is that it's really important to get guidance because we lack perspective on ourselves and it's very, very easy to develop delusions, especially delusions of grandeur.
0: Sure, yes.
1: And this this is very common, actually, that people have spiritual experiences, maybe some kind of epiphany and it may be can happen in different ways. A common way, of course, is through something like LSD or some sort of drug, right? That was
0: my other question, actually.
1: Oh. Okay. <laughs> so we'll talk about that next. <laughs> okay. But, um, but people, can, people might have some moment of insight or illumination, but it's temporary. Right. And then you come back to your, your normal ego perspective, but you know that this other perspective exists. But it doesn't mean you still have it.
0: You're just thinking about the memory of it.
1: You just have the memory of it. Yes, it opened a door, as um, Aldous Huxley would say. It's it's opened a door, um, but it doesn't take you through.
0: I call it like you've seen behind the curtain, but you're yeah. still on the stage, and you're still trying to figure out how do I get behind the curtain.
1: That's right. That's 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 the the spiritual life is is living in that situation. Mm. There's a beautiful talk by um, Jim Carrey of all people.
0: I I think I know what you're referring to.
1: And he talks about you know. At least I know where I want to go, right? Yeah. Sort of, he has this experience, and it comes and it goes, and you know he he can't stay there. He doesn't know how to remain there, but he knows he has the, he has an idea of the goal, and that is tremendously important. So I find that very helpful. But then once you've got that idea, how do you get there? That's when we need guidance, and that's where this whole very misunderstood. Uh, idea of the mentor or the you know the guru and the disciple, where that is actually tremendously important, because you can try and find your own way, and it might take you a, a million lifetimes, or you can get some guidance from someone who can cut that process short by you know a thousand times or less or more, or whatever that is. <laughs> I it's, it's just very inefficient to try and figure out how to you know walk this this path of self-realization. On your own, just because. Well, basically, the, the the main reason people, some people, try and do that is because of ego. Because they don't want They don't. They think that they know better than anybody else, and that is almost invariably untrue, with the very rare exception where you happen to be the most enlightened people on the planet, person on the planet. That's. But that's not most people's situation, right? I mean, I have literally met three people who think that they are Jesus Christ. I, I would. I dream of getting all three of them in the same room. I think, I think that'd be spectacular. To break that,
0: des- to break that delusion, <laughs> you're, sp- you're speaking about something very, very important here. Is like, and I want you to let you continue. I- I'm sorry, I interrupted. Right, go
1: ahead, go ahead. Um,
0: but I was thinking around the, se- the sense that like, when we when we become aware of this other space of our uh, that's available to us, and I, I actually you let me know what you feel about this but i've actually in my experience described it as if if you and i sit here right now and we close our eyes and we simply observe that there's this infinite space i feel like i'm aware of where my body is but if i go even deeper than that i see this real dark dark not in a negative sense but like sort of like an outer space sense that I see this space that I can't see the edges and boundaries of. And if I get into a really, really like uh, stronger, aware state of this, like especially like towards in the middle of my meditation, especially, you know, if it's like, you know, doing a breathing exercise as well and being aware of that, I can get senses of where I can't place if I'm just within this body or if I'm within everything. And what is that space, that empty space that I see when I'm, in when my eyes are completely closed and my focus is there and then when i open my eyes instantly and i'm now here in front of you and i can see my arms and limbs and all that does that then mean that that space no longer exists that that space that i can experience which i'm still aware of and like it could be my memory just recalling it at this moment in time but i know that that space is still there and it's no distant from me really it's not the back of my eyelids i don't think but does that spark anything for you? Like is that is that something that where it's like kind of like showing you that there's these both maybe even dimensions that are always there and it's just a matter of where you are in it. Like the way I've kind of visualized it is like the infinity symbol and on either side of it is like the extreme either you're deluded into the ego or way too much into the spirit where you're everything and then kind of in the middle is like the balance point where you have a mix of both of those sides. And and you're kind of flowing from this place where you you really have this sense that I'm I'm being guided in this present moment and and I am right where I'm supposed to be, and 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 you're not really seeking or anything, but you're really kind of just whatever is there you're doing, and you're not expecting that it will, but you know that it's it is there for you and it will come to you whatever is meant to come for you. Uh, so I'm I'm curious about like where where is it that because I get lost in this at times where even you know I get off I feel like I'm off of my my path in that sense at times and and I'm trying to understand from someone like you who who is more experienced in this path or in this journey like what is that about and and how does one kind of I guess just know that like like this is your this is your path it's coming there's no I guess predefined way of knowing really I don't know I don't Uh, even know if any of that made sense
1: sure it all made a lot of sense to me um, it's very it's it's very familiar because I have these conversations a lot with a lot of people and I've experienced a lot of that um but it's in, but at the same time it's it's also it's different for everybody <laughs> right um but it sounds to me as though you're having you're, you're exploring consciousness right so you in the you have several questions in there I'll see if I can remember them all <laughs> one was you're saying is does the, does that experience that sort of sense of Limitlessness, I guess, is what you would...
0: Yes, there's ex- infinite expansion.
1: Does it disappear when I open my eyes? Well, obviously not. Well, look, 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 what... what dis- yes. What, what disappeared was your current awareness of it. That's all. It means you shifted your focus. Mm-hmm. And and we are, you know, what did... Um, well, of course, Sting put it nicely in the song, but Tale Had to Shatter was the one... Who, um you know the spirits in the material world? Very nice song, but it's, we're kind of like this spirit in trapped in this body, and the spirit taken by itself or the atman, you know, if it's just left alone, it is able to experience limitless consciousness and bliss, and it's and that, It's and not it's,
0: bounded by the body by itself, is
1: what you're saying. That's right, but as long as we're living in the body, <clears throat> we are. Uh, it, it, the body's designed to, to, for itself to survive <laughs> and reproduce. Yeah. So, but it's a vehicle, but it's a necessary vehicle. If the Atman wants to have a chance to experience the world and live through, you know, uh, uh, interact with the world, it needs a vehicle, right? And of course, this is what Krishna is talking about a lot in the Bhagavad Gita, and he uses the metaphor of the chariot. And he's the witness, and you've got the driver of the chariot, and the horses are the are the senses, and so forth. So we have this kind of. You think of it. You're a computer engineer. Think of it as the body and the senses, in particular, are uh, the interface with the world. Right. And, but the, um, and and the you know the computing power, you know the processor and all of that is is your conscious and subconscious mind mainly, your subconscious mind behind that there is something else and that is you could say well there's layers but behind behind what's behind the behind?
0: ultimate backdrop
1: one. yes right the pure consciousness the i the original i feeling that doesn't change and we but we what this i and that's the thing that enables you to experience anything right it's constantly even in your dreaming it's it's active right so that's the entity that's experiencing all of this right now. And the, the the weird thing is, your Atman and my Atman are just reflections of the same Paramatman, the Supreme. Yes, yes. Archive. So, when we begin to ex- identify closely with this Atman, we experience more strongly that basically, at some deeper level, you and I are the same person. And that's why real saints and yogis what they the way that they see the world is that it's me and and i can't help but love everybody right and that's it's an outcome of my my experience of reality that everything is one everything is me and everything is the underlying relationship is one of absolute love so So on the one hand, it's you know it's it's a it's a it's very much dependent on your kind of experience, but at the same time, it makes sense philosophically.
0: And I think I think at a deeper level, if if anybody wants to find out for themselves, they have the ability to confirm what we're speaking about because it's an experiential knowing. It's not just something you can understand. I think otherwise, like you deeply feel this. Like I know I've somehow have known this intuitively. Obviously, my grandmother. Talking about Atman in India is a very common thing. Sometimes to a degree now it's very very much like I think I'm not even sure if sometimes when people use it there, if they understand what they're talking about, or if they just know it as like another, you know, word. Uh, again, going back to the weight behind the word, right? Which which position are you speaking the words from? But what really intrigues me is what is the space from within from which where I can be where I'm not so because again I am this maybe let like this infinite consciousness that's boiled down distilled down to this body and and in my in my body where this is where a piece of it lives or that it's connected to, if it's aware of the, the this bigger you know sort of realm from where it it came from and it's still limited by some of these you know limitations of this body and maybe like the peculiarities of this character due to its upbringing and all that, where does that i guess person or that being need to be in your understanding of it all to feel like that everything is still effortless but obviously we still have to do like for me i don't have to do my job or other things to help people and all that but i how do i not you know lose sight of that of course i can continuously remind myself but is there another way or is it just that that your practice and your meditation and everything that you do over time just maybe becomes a stronger connection to that space. The only other metaphor I have of this is from bodybuilding is when you, we always talked about mind to muscle connection. Because if I were to completely close my eyes, I and I don't see anything, especially if I'm working out certain body parts, how do I know I'm actually moving that specific muscle? Like I have no idea unless I can very much be in tune with all the sensations. So it's, that's kind of exploring the senses, the sensory system or the nervous system and how it's mapped to the different parts of your body. So I can I can relate that to the dimensions of that are limited by the body but from a from a bigger spiritual way is there is that something that you would say in your experience over time has allowed you that for that space to get so much wider such that you don't even have this question anymore where you you just have that conviction like I'm I'm curious to hear again these are things that I know to somebody who hasn't experienced some of these things would make no sense at all what I'm trying to say. And they just probably think this guy has probably smoked a whole bunch today and has no idea what he's talking about.
1: No, 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 no. I think you've been, having, you've been exploring consciousness and it's, you know, you've understood some things and some things are still seem to be unclear.
0: And I'm aware that I will never understand it all from an intellectual level because it's impossible for my little limited mind to grab why the sun is here, why the moon exists and how the waves keep rolling on without improvement needed. And the beauty in life—I couldn't explain that to you.
1: Right, I, I, I. So again, there's a lot of a lot of questions bundled in there, but I'll try to address a couple. Well, of just
0: things. whatever comes natural, I suppose, is okay sure. with um, me.
1: Um, so I, I guess something that a lot of people find difficult is reconciling this idea that okay, I'm on this kind of journey of self. Awakening, sort of coming to understand the real, you know, my true self, and you know, you could call it a journey to enlightenment or something like that. But what about my life? Yes. Uh, you know, I might. You know, you got you a family. You got you 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 you're, 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 you're a young. You don't have children yet, do you?
0: Not yet. We we have. I've been asking the universe to give me one if 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 it seems fit that I should get one.
1: I'm sure. that am sure that you don't <laughs> just me. So, but you know, how do I live my life while I'm on this spiritual journey? So, integrating these two is very important. Yes. And um, one of the uh, <clears throat> there's a lovely um, concept, and I'm I'm referring to Krishna a, couple, a little bit here, just because he happens to some of his teachings fit this really well, and and um, and my guru was. Uh, he referred to Krishna's teachings quite a bit. Also, Shiva. You can see I've got a little yes Buddha on one side. There's Buddha over there. I do I have to get a Krishna. In, in, in this. <laughs> um, but there's some. No, seriously, they're they're all real. I mean, I believe Shiva was a historical personality. I see him. You know, from in our tradition, he's regarded as, as a human being, not some god with four arms like in the Shiva Nataraj, but the, perhaps, probably the first enlightened man on this planet and, you know, lived maybe 7,000 years ago, and when all this mythology has grown up around him, Krishna was more recent, <clears throat> but again, he's more his, his, his historical person. Right. Um, but, but also, you know, the legends are kind of exaggerated, but, you know, and another enlightened person who, could, who really gave us amazing guidance. And so, so in the Gita, there's a, there's a few major themes there, um, and one of them is this idea of karma, jnana, and bhakti. So karma means literally means action. Um, and most people think of it all the, you know, when they're talking about this karma... It well, comes
0: around, about, goes around.
1: Yeah, that, that, that idea. Well, it's used, it's, got, it's kind of used slightly incorrectly. Usually. Yes. But here we're talking about karma, action as service. Okay, so what kind of action should I do in my life? Because as, as a human being, I'm, I'm bound to action. There is no such thing as non-action. Non-action itself is a choice not to act. So this idea that... I think there's a misunderstanding about the idea of effortlessness. Effortlessness, the feeling of effortlessness comes in moments when you're in the flow. Yes. But you're still acting. Mm. But you're acting in harmony with the will of the universe. Mm. It feels effortless because you're being carried... By a force far greater than you're your, yourself. But that doesn't come from being lazy or thinking I'm just going to sit here and let God take care of the problems of the world. It doesn't <laughs> work like that. It really doesn't. So karma yoga, the idea of karma yoga, is the yoga of service. Okay, what sort of action should I do? I should I'm here to help others. And and and, and to serve others. And that brings humility, which is super important. Because the biggest trap on the spiritual path is egotism, and there's yeah, it's 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 always there. But it's it's really it's really uh, something you need to watch out for. We all do. So karma yoga is one of these sort of one of the sort of three pillars of the path of dharma that Krishna talked about, and you know other great spiritual teachers have taught, talked about. So so that's one. The next is jnana yoga. It's the yoga of wisdom or knowledge. And that doesn't just mean intellectual knowledge. It means self-reflection and self-understanding. Okay? And so we achieve that through our introversial, self-reflective practice-like meditation, as well as maybe some study of philosophy. And that's actually important because people, you talked earlier about people having experiences, some spiritual experience, but then trying to figure out what it means. It's making sense of it all. And, and maybe getting confused. Yes, and that's why I referred to the three people who think they're Jesus. I'm glad you don't think you're Jesus, because we already <laughs> <only> have two. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy, it's dunk! <laughs> so, even if you have a spiritual experience, it's still very easy to fall back into a kind of delusion, and often it's a, a delusion of self-importance. It's a very common variety <laughs> for various, you know, all sorts of reasons. So, Jnana Yoga, this study of both, but firstly study of real philosophy but also self-understanding, can help to give you a perspective on where you fit into, where the spiritual path and your practice fits into reality and life and other people. So you've got these two founding pillars of Karma Yoga, the Yoga of Service, Jnana Yoga, the Yoga of Wisdom, and the third piece, do you know it? Tell me. Bhakti. 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 That's the, the, the path of devotion or spiritual love. So it's, and that is actually the resultant of the first two. It's the outcome. So when you have a balance between serving others and, and developing your self-knowledge through your meditation, the outcome will be this feeling of attraction towards the Divine. And that is the engine that carries you forward on the spiritual path, is this because you're cultivating the natural attraction towards God, towards the source of enlightenment. So that's the kind of threefold path of karma, jnana and bhakti that Krishna described, and it's as valid today as it ever was. In fact, I think it's, it's really, really important to refer back to it, because a lot of people get caught up in one piece or another. But they're out of balance, and they get out of balance. Mm. So I meet so many people who think that, "Oh, if I just meditate, then basically that's that's my 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 spiritual thing done." It's not at all. If you meditate and you just do your work and that, it can be a completely self-centered thing. It can be. You can be. You can still be an egotist. You can be completely selfish, and you can do meditation. It's really, really important to balance it with service. And that's been been forgotten by many people who are talking about meditation and spirituality.
0: And when you mean service, is it generally around what is it that naturally is calling you to serve versus like, you know how some people, I know people that are like, I'm going to go do serve in this church and that church, and I know they have no; they're not on the right path because I think they're just looking for an affirmation
1: at that stage. Service is another word that needs redefining. Yeah. it's really helping people in a way that's actually going to make them to help help them in the way they need, not the way you think they right. need. right,
0: with and without expectation.
1: Without expectation, exactly. So I'll give you a few examples. I, I mean, um, in in our mission that, that our guru founded, we have. A lot of really, um, really good schools. A lot of a lot of preschools for people in poor areas, because that's where they need it the most. And it's not just for people who are doing meditation or anything. It's for for the children living in that poor area who need education. We have a lot of we have quite a lot of children's homes for home. You know, children who don't have parents or they've been rejected by their second father or you know. So that's something that he emphasises really, really important that we give people that you know every child should have a chance to live out, grow up in a loving environment. And then we have medical programs. We have um, in Haiti, which is the poorest country in this whole hemisphere. We have seven big service projects. One of them is an employment project because what they need there is how to make, how to earn money. Hmm. They've got it. Their economy and the whole country's been. Devastated by a ty by by a stupid by an evil dictator, then by a typhoon, then by one of the worst earthquakes in history, and it's so. There's tremendous need there, and um, so that's a very big project. So, I so when I say service, I don't mean going along and donating money to your church. I mean helping giving you know helping people get what they need. It might not be physical. It might be. There's a lot of, in this area, one of the biggest needs, I feel, is for mentoring for young, for, for teenagers. Because uh, in the poor areas especially, they often get caught up in gangs and stuff like that. And a friend of mine, he started a mentoring program for young people from the 12 to 18. And he, they started a club. It's, a, it's called the Council of Goodness.
0: Oh, that's beautiful.
1: And... That it gives them an alternative to joining a blimmin' drug gang, and uh, it's been amazing. I've I've he's I've been often to um, you know help the, leave the group in meditation and music and just learn, learn about what they're doing and support what he's doing. It's a really really solid thing because but he's looked at he looked at, you know he's a very successful guy he's a corporate lawyer and all that but he comes from a poor background. And he thought, well, how can I give back? And he's very smart. He thought, okay, what's the biggest need in my community? It's a Latino community. These young people are lost. They need mentoring. And you know what? When you do mentoring right, it works like magic. Because the young people, they gravitate to it like this. They're, they're automatically attracted because they know they need a mentor. And if you can provide a good mentor to probably give them an alternative to the successful drug dealer, Dark Mentor, which is a real thing. It is. It's, you know, it's pretty heavy. But if you can provide an alternative to that, there, many children will be attracted to that, and it transforms their lives. So meaningful service that makes a real difference to people's lives, addressing their genuine needs, that's something that many of us have the opportunity to do.
0: I, I would say the way I've done it in my own experiences that i've chosen to look at everything that i do very differently than i did before so if someone whether it's my neighbor whether it's a client on the phone whether it's someone that just came and crossed my path i've chosen that if if they have been brought in front of me in this moment right now and, and this is what they're going through that i try I guess I'm trying to say is that I leverage the ability that I am good at certain things, like what you've talked about, how you're good at making people feel good, making them laugh, and also then giving them this, you know, meditation and, and sort of experience uh, a little bit into a higher state of their their awareness. But for me, I would say I have certain abilities that I think this this person has acquired over its course of life, and I think those are I, I'm aware of some of what those strengths are. So I've chosen that. It's almost like if I were to look at myself as like the spirit in this body, right? That's like kind of a robot. It's like I can just deploy this and this and this here and like make these, you know, use this body and this this uh, vehicle for, for this, you know, precise good because that's what you're really good at doing, making these people feel this way. So for me, it's always around like some of the people that I've encountered will say like, wow, you, you, you really made me look at things in a very different way. I've never looked at it that way. Uh, and I tend to do this by talking about because I, I, you know, after my, I don't even know if it's fair to call it an awakening moment because I think it's unfolding. It's not a, it's not it wasn't one thing. I think it was there was a moment for sure that, that made me see it all from a place where I had never consciously, I guess, acknowledged it. But beyond that, I would say it's continuing to unfold. And, and I, I guess where I'm trying to take this, I just lost my train of thought a little bit, but. I'm trying to take it that like when you do any service or if you do something that you are naturally good at, that is your way of giving to the world like what you were kind of given as your gift, I suppose. And and you or me helping other people out with that, whatever that is that we've, you know, maybe spent the time getting good at or has been naturally given to us through our circumstances, I would say those are good places to look at in, in your, you know, how do I serve, like what, what do you think?
1: Well, of course, you've got to, you've got to find a match, right? Yeah. So you, okay, where's the need? There's a million needs out there. Mm. Yes. <laughs> all right. Which one is the one that I'm drawn to, that I can relate to, and which one is where I can actually use whatever knowledge, skills, and resources I have to really make an impact? Mm. Of course, those are all factors in figuring out the best place to focus. And I had a need. I'll give you a nice example of that. One of my students, at, at, when I was teaching at UC Berkeley, I had all the really these wonderful students. I love them. And one of them was a young woman. She's from a Latina background, and she, she was studying communications. And she was um, sort of... It was like training to be like a newsreader or something like that. Like, me, uh, you know, and she was yes. very charismatic and great, good speaker and, and very outgoing. And, and, and she was, you know, really great. I think if as was a kid, she was, she was 20 or something, 21 or something. But she came to me after we'd been... You know, doing this program, I I went around a three month, uh, you know, whole semester program there, and I get to know the students pretty well. Uh And sometimes we'd go; they'd come on a weekend retreat, and you know, we really um, talked a lot. And she said, "You know, now I'm a bit confused because I feel like I want to, you know, this whole course we've done it's awakened in me a really a desire to do something to help." people in Costa Rica or you know she speaks Spanish and she's from her family from Mexico so she was sort of thinking I'd like to do some kind of meaningful full service in one of the poorer Latin Latin countries. She said but I, I feel like this what I'm studying in the university here is com- complete waste of time. I mean, what a, Who needs another newsreader you know what's the point? And I said well you know that's very, you know, it's, it's really amazing. I'm so happy that you're thinking like that to do something that'll really, have, you know, make a, a mark on the world and really help people. But this, what you're learning is a valuable skill. You could be, you know, directing documentaries on how to, you know, bringing public attention, attention to issues of poverty that really need addressing. You can, you can apply that skill in all sorts of ways. And she sort of realised it. I thought, oh, okay, she had thought of that. You know, it would have dawned on her anyway, right? But it's we shouldn't think that the, the skills that we've learned can only be used in one way. They can be used in many different ways.
0: Mm-hmm. Skills become tools, and it's how you use them.
1: And then sometimes you have to learn a new one. I might yeah. have to learn on Zoom because I, you know, I do a lot of teaching with. And you did too. You do <laughs> yeah, we
0: today. had to learn it today again. <laughs>
1: I, you know, there are some things that you can learn pretty quickly. Some things it
0: yes. takes a lot longer. I only have two directions that I can think of taking this. One of them is going back to your days of wanting to be a rock star and tying that in into the spiritual way. path. Well, and the, and, the, and the odd parallel that I'm going to bring is, you know, obviously rock stars are notoriously known for taking a whole bunch of drugs and partying and all that. I want to... No. Not all of them agreed, and I would say in a parallel space, you know, sometimes I've seen this misunderstanding or maybe misguidance around the fact that, of course, there's things like I'm sure you're familiar with psychedelics uh, being in the Bay Area, you know, pioneering certain things like nootropics and how to optimize everything. They found ways to you know microdose psychedelics. Now, that was happening when I was up there, like 2014, 15, and and it was kind it of hasn't ama- say that again.
1: It hasn't stopped.
0: And it hasn't stopped, and it continues to evolve. And my point, really, with this question, really, uh, to you, Dada, is where do you see the value of? Of, I guess maybe let me share what I, I I believe about it. I think that there is, if you're if you're if you're ripe enough, you're in the seeking mode already, and things have already started to kind of crumble for you, and you're ready for your like, you know, freedom in that sense. I think in that moment, certain psychedelics or, or even marijuana at certain degrees. In doses, I know can help people experience something very directly, which is which is maybe sometimes more difficult for people to start with meditation. Not to say that one is better than the other necessarily, because obviously meditation is not a drug habit. It depends how you look at it, right? And so it really can change your perspective. But what would you say around like how? Uh, and I know in Indian culture, of course, like there's been plant medicine used and in so many other cultures, it's been used to help people actualize or see uh, the the sort of, I guess, open their mind more. You know, what would you say about about that and how that plays into our current like climate of, of consciousness? And, and is that something do you think is a, a complete like waste or do you think there's any value in it or, you know... What what would you say? Or do you prefer not to speak about it? It's okay, too.
1: Okay. I'm quite comfortable speaking about it. So I had a couple of LSD experiences myself a long time ago. And they definitely helped to open my eyes to a new way of seeing things. But the most important real... Well, I had a number of realizations the second time I took LSD. And the first thing that was very clear to me was that I should never take drugs again.
0: Hmm. How so?
1: Because I understood intuitively that it's extremely dangerous and risky, and it's not necessary. Mm. So that's the first thing I always emphasize to people. I say, "Yeah, you can get—you might be lucky—and not do you some damage to your mind." I know people who've literally destroyed their minds with psychedelics. So I'm extremely cautionary about it. I, I, I basically say I never recommend it. There may be some circumstances as a part of some therapy where you're actually seeing a psych- psychiatrist who understands these things really well and might be using very tiny amounts. It may be useful for somebody who's completely stuck in a deep depression or something like that. Maybe, but I don't know enough about it to, to, to say. But outside of that context, I would never recommend them.
0: Mm.
1: And the reason is because I've seen the destructive power of hallucinogenics. And also, and the, the I, I've I've met a lot of people who've taken a lot of drugs, and it usually doesn't end well. Right. But there's there are quite a few examples where it did open somebody's eyes to the possibility of something of another way of some sort of self-disciplined way to pursue the spiritual path, and that's actually the context in which. Hallucinogens and you know psych- psychotropic plants have been used, as you say, in many many different cultures, especially all the shamanistic traditions. Right. So how do they use peyote or ayahuasca or psilocybin mushrooms or whatever? It was typically when when I would say that there was a responsible way to use it. I mean there were there were crazy ways that psilocybin was used in Europe. The berserker. Viking warriors used to take a whole bunch of mushrooms and tear all the clothes off and rush into battle and basically kill everyone they could. So they would use it to induce a kind of very psychosis. Deadly. This was a tradition amongst the Vikings. They would use it to induce a very deadly sort of battle frenzy where they would become fearless. And people were terrified of these guys. But that was it was <laughs> not something I recommend, okay? So, yeah, these drugs are very powerful. They can be used in different ways, but some ways are responsible and constructive, and some ways maybe not. So I would say that when the shamans were using these substances in in a responsible way, it was when they would have somebody who was really stuck and unable to see beyond this sort of limited... Everyday sort of state of mind, and they use it to give them a, an experience in a very measured way, and and um, and uh, that they they would realize, oh, there is some, there is another level of experience of, of my of my inner self.
0: It's like I call it another layer to the cake.
1: Yeah, something like that. They use it to trigger that, right? Yes, and just to give them a glimpse, and then they would teach them the self-disciplined meditative practice that actually mm. takes.
0: Because they're more receptive to it now that they've experienced. Well,
1: they've had a little glimpse of the gold, yeah. like, like um, Jim Carrey did, and I don't know whether he took drugs. or Oh, how of course he did. He did. Uh, but it uh, looks to me like yeah, probably. Yeah,
0: I can only share what I've experienced, and and uh, I don't usually talk about this because I don't ever want to promote drug use. Well,
1: I'm exactly the same way. I don't. I don't want to promote it. Yeah, I'm going to deny that I benefited from. it. Yes, and and but I'd never recommend it.
0: I would say, in my experience. I haven't done any hard psychedelics. I've experimented a little bit with um, DMT, and I've experimented with. I definitely uh, I, I enjoy cannabis. I think especially now that it's it's been legal for a few years. When I lived in the barrier, that's when I first found out about it. So I never took it growing up, especially when I was bodybuilding. Would have been the end of me because the amount of uh, appetite that it increases for certain people. I would have I would have never been able to be a bodybuilder if, if I was doing it then. So. <laughs> Different tangent. Um, the point is, though, like, I've noticed, well, one of the first, I guess, major experiences for me was under, under like, a, a, you know, having to smoke something and then, like, having to sit there. And and I watched one of uh, Muji's satsangs where he's doing, you know, the deeper introspection where he's guiding you to see, you know, who you are and in his pointings. And it really, like, because I had always kind of, you know, and it just kind of... Clicked and and after that I was kind of messed up for like about two or three days I couldn't make sense of it, mm-hmm. I, I like the whole thing broke. I remember at the time Mimi and I were doing long distance I was in the Bay Area she was in Southern San Diego, and so we didn't see each other every day, uh, but we talked a lot on the phone and we used you know vo- video calls and all that. I remember vividly that day. That day to me is still imprinted so heavily. There's been a few moments like that and I can name where where the entire ex- like structure of what I believed completely broke and and in that moment I had a very difficult time not like understanding why we were arguing about something or she was like upset about something that happened in her life and I was like can't you see like can't can't you see that that doesn't matter that it doesn't exist because I was in a whole different layer uh, like from that cake analogy I was up there and most people were here, and I couldn't communicate. I, I felt like I was communicating to, to, to make no sense, almost sounding like I was crazy. But I would say in my experiences, it can be used to a degree if, again, if you're ready and if you are already in that path, granted you're a responsible adult and you have all your you know things straightened out for the most part and you're not irresponsible in that sense. It can be a very good... Uh, in my experience, a separator like it shows you the, the 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 it brings to foreground what's been in the background, if that makes sense. Like I'm able to see immediately that ah I'm way really attached into this character, and now that allows the room to to have other things kind of come and go and be seeing that more effortlessly. But then it also allows this this ability to get more dissolved into it too. So there are definitely, you know, it's a double-edged sword in a, on 100%. Like you, I know people that even in my style sometimes like accidentally one time I consumed a lot of edibles and I had this crazy experience where for about a day and a half, I, I like I literally my contemplative questions were, I don't know who I am, what am I supposed to be doing here and what should I be doing here and I couldn't get past it and all I heard were different voices in my mind and I, and the only thing that really calmed me down was like this uh, recognition of the love in my life and the moments that I remembered from you know being a kid and and being loved and my breath and realizing that the only thing that I could know for sure was that I had this breath in my body. I didn't have any other idea of what I was for for a long long period of time. After that, I've definitely changed my methods drastically. But I, my, I'm just highlighting this to show like I do think there is a place for it, but I don't condone it to to the average person who thinks. You know, in a casual setting, that you're just gonna get some benefit out of it, like that. Like, so I, I do see the you know the disclaimer there to be quite important because um, we live. I mean, we're both in California, as you know. It's like one of the most recreationally used substances here now for the last year or so. It's it's insane. Like it's it's everywhere. Um, but at the same time, like I'm trying to think and, and be very realistic and honest about it. Is like I don't think it's entirely bad because I I do believe that more people could find a way to open up due to this uh, it's, it's better than alcohol in my opinion because i don't think alcohol ever gives you any spiritual experiences but <laughs> some substance like this since it is a plant based derivative and i do think it has some benefits we do have a endocannabinoid system which makes sense that if if that's what you know our cannabinoids are what's in the plant they're helping induce these certain experiences which i have to say i've gotten some of the same highs meditating or just being in a very hyperoxygenated oxygenated state uh towards like a, an exercise or a meditative you know environment so i have to say that there are certainly like those states that you can achieve outside of these substances but like it unlocks this level especially so i i'm trying to say like i've i believe there is some balance with them that i don't think they're completely useless um and should be avoided entirely but i do think that there is for those uh, uh that i know like I, i've recommended them to some of the very responsible people that i know who've been like scientists who just can't seem to think past their logical self and i'm like well try a little a uh, little bit of this and maybe you'll start to see a little differently and they have not in an irresponsible way but they were starting to see that okay i have this other side and now they're starting to like do some other practices towards it so i just wanted to leave it at that and um kind of like talk about just that for a moment and. Um, to I, I could keep talking to you all day. You were right in the beginning of this call that you really you're very easy to talk to, which is quite surprising to me because a lot of times when we think about a monk, we would think like somebody who's very proper and renounced to like the normal day to day life. But you're for some reason very approachable. And
1: my mum my my used to say, <laughs> I remember she told me once when she found I, I, I kind of I love living in the world doing things, and I just think that this is all you know um has its, has its purpose, but I uh, I used to run a meditation skiing retreat every year. Meditation
0: skiing retreat sounds amazing.
1: A group about 20 of us would go to the Swiss Alps, and we'd do a nice place like Zermatt, and we'd, we'd wake up in the morning and all, you know, do our yoga and meditation and chant and have a nice vegetarian breakfast, and we'd go and ski all the day and come back and do the whole meditation thing all over again and collapse. We'd do that for a week. And it was a fantastic experience, so I I think there are things in the world that are, you know, they're 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 good. They're they're, they're they're it's very wholesome, you know. And I I I'm into scuba diving and music, and I had a kind of taste of fame, which was kind of interesting, but not all it's cracked up to be. And my mum once said that, "Oh, you're not a proper monk; you're a yuppie monk." <laughs> <laughs> was pretty funny She was always she my mother was good. She used to always give me good perspectives on on my life. Now, but I think that um I I don't know I never really related to the idea of a monk who kind of sits and pretends to be serious all day in some boring monastery and that's not my That's not me. You yeah.
0: <laughs> know. Um, I love you for being true to who you are. And this is the last question I have and I don't usually uh, I I think you're the most appropriate person to maybe ask this to at this stage is, you know, like, well, at least I want to know your perspective. Like, what is, at this stage in life, like in your journey, like, what is your philosophy of life? Like, you know, why do you think we're all here on this journey? Like, what, what would you sum it up to be for you?
1: Well, I think we're here to connect to the source of love within ourselves and to express it in our lives. Mm. in the most effective way and helpful way possible.
0: I couldn't agree more. My answer to that question is, you are peace and love, but just forgot. And uh, <laughs> it's pretty much the, the game, right? Like we always forget, you know, the peace comes from within, the love comes from within, and that's really it. That I want to thank you <laughs> for, I don't know how long it's been we've been talking. It feels like it's only been a moment. a long time <laughs> but it's uh, it's been really, really, really enjoyable for me. I hope it was enjoyable for you. Um, yeah, and, yeah, speak right. Like and that uh, I do that. think you know, somewhere in the time space continuum, somebody will out there will find this conversation very useful as well. Because I think more and more people are seeking for the truth, and and are finding it, and now looking for like community around it. Um, so, if you wouldn't mind sharing before we sign off a little bit around uh, any virtual events you have going on anything that you can uh, share that where people can come and join and maybe get more inspired
1: sure um the, the, probably the, the the one that I would uh, is coming right up is on the tenth of october uh we we do this monthly pretty much um, it's a, it's, a, it's a one day spiritual retreat virtual retreat
0: a virtual retreat even better. and
1: i've got, yeah, I do that in. So I do it in collaboration with some other teachers. There's a little group of us, and it's um, it's on the tenth of October, and then you can find. I'll just put it in the chat maybe. I put the link.
0: We'll put the links you up later. Just, Don't worry. You
1: to, thank you. I'll just. You can just go to pathofbliss.com, and um, there's that. Uh, yeah, that online event. We have some other online events there. Um, the other thing, people, if if anyone's um, interested in having me do something for their company, then they should go to my website. If they, you know, if they want to, basically, be paid to meditate, um, <laughs> I'll come in there and <laughs> guide them through it. Um, so that's my own, whoops, website. And um, the the retreat, the weekend uh, one-day retreat, that's part of a series that we do, which is. Based on a book I wrote called "Close Your Eyes and Open Your Mind."
0: Beautiful, beautiful
1: name. So, um, that's uh, quite useful. Uh, it's in twelve languages now. It's got, I've got the audio book and the the retreat and the book, and it's turning into lots of things.
0: I I have nothing but love for you, Dada. Thank you so much for giving me this time and just reflecting with me on on some really amazing things that. I I'm I'm very very happy that this worked out.
1: Very very happy to meet you and Mimi, who's hiding behind the camera.
0: That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, everybody. Um,
1: I had I had a short business. Are you in San Francisco or San Diego? I'm confused.
0: I go through both, so I do business in both cities. So I'm currently I'm staying in San Diego though. Okay. But next time I'm up in San Francisco, I will definitely contact you.
1: Yeah, do and you know, post COVID, we should definitely get together. Yes. We'll Do some chanting and meditation together. I love it, ladies Bring and gentlemen. Or dalak or whatever you're playing. Right?
0: Yes, I, I, I have everything. I can. We will have fun. We'll
1: make some music together, all right?
0: I love it. I That'd will cool. sign off, ladies and gentlemen. Check this out, and we'll be back soon. Namaste. Hey guys, thank you again for checking out this episode. Remember, there's a video component that you can also watch, and you can keep up with me on YouTube at Blossom Media Studio or on Instagram at the Real Abenov. Thank you, and I'll see you next time.